This is Jesus Politics by Tony Franklin. Jesus Politics is a podcast that's devoted to looking at the teachings and values of Jesus Christ and applying them to our contemporary context today, especially in the realms of politics, community development, public relations, and leadership. Welcome to the Jesus Politics Podcast. I'm excited to have Shane and Blosser on today to share with us about where we find grace in politics. Uh, Shannon, would you share with our listeners just a little about your own connection with politics? Well, uh, it's good to be with you today. I was, before I became a pastor, I uh, worked for a few years in the public policy arena. Um, I was a journalist uh, for about 11 years or so. I worked in sports and news. Uh, but I've always been fascinated with the political. I always joke that some kids take uh, the, the comics with them everywhere they go. I took the Encyclopedia P uh, to study the presidents everywhere I went. Um, but for me, what happened was I was starting to get frustrated with the news business. It was at the beginning of the dot-com era and uh, the, the failing of the newspaper industry as we're continuing to see. I had met a... <clears throat> local house representative in North Carolina, which is where I was living at the time. And we became friends and he got me in contact with this public policy organization in Raleigh. And next thing I know, I'm covering higher education issues and working on his political campaign. Um, I did his PR one year um, and uh, helped out with that. Did a lot of walking around, knocking on doors, um, did my did kind of those things, but did that for about three years uh, before going to Asbury for seminary. So uh, it was an eye-opening experience, as I tell, as I would be the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've appreciated uh, some of your continued work in politics um, through the church, uh, whether it's just your social media posts that help bring some clarity. Uh, to different issues that are going on. Uh, but in particular, uh, you helping me with my book, Jesus Politics, a couple of years back, and the research going into that, because um, that was definitely outside of my area of expertise. Um, so I, I think you you still got your finger in it a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm the one, I always tell people, and it was a, a pleasure to help you with that book, I should say, and, and congratulations on that and getting that finished and accomplished. Um, but I always tell people I'm the one person that can watch CNN and be calm. <laughs> Everyone else will throw the remote controls at the TV and all this other stuff, but I can just sit there and watch election night and be like, Oh, this is nice. This is soothing. You know, and Abby, my wife will just run the opposite way and just think I'm the craziest person in the world. So for me, it's soothing for others. It's chaotic, which is probably the, world we live in right now but for me it's just kind of like well this is how we govern this is how we decide things and it's not always easy just like it it's not always easy being in the church yes it's a gift to be able to stay calm like that it's it's hard sometimes you want to take your baseball bat and throw it in the tv but you realize okay it's not going to matter it's not going to solve anything yeah (laughs) well part of our discussion uh during that time we were working together uh, on the book uh, Jesus Politics 
we focused on grace as one of those values. <laughs> and, and I think scripture gives us um, a, a number of very clear examples that grace is not just forgiveness, but it involves a restoration of relationship or redemption of relationships. Um, that, that that's a lot more involved. Um, sometimes there are places in politics, I think that pretend to be grace or maybe they imply that they're grace, but they're not really, there's something else. Uh, they're not living into that restoration of relationships fully. Um, and sometimes I think that there are places that, that it is being lived out. Where do you see the places where uh, it may be implied, but it's not really being lived out fully? I think for me, it, one of the places where if we talk about grace within the context of reconciliation and, and how we view one another, I think it's always in the context of how we um, say we need to be more accepting of others and how we need to be more welcoming uh, to people. What I always find in the political realm is we talk a good game on that. But when push comes to shove, what we really want to do is only welcome those who agree with us. And so there's always limitations upon our welcome. We will welcome you uh, if you perhaps are more progressive, if you believe in our viewpoints, or if you are conservative, if you buy into our viewpoints. What we never say is, I'm going to value you as the fact that you are created in the image of God. And sometimes we will even use that that language, and I and I've and I fear this sometimes that we can use that language to say, well, we're all created in the image of God, but then dismiss the creativeness of those who disagree with us. And, and it's I hate to even say this term; it's a both sides thing, because that can be uh, misconstrued sometimes. But it is it uh, you see this in the that the talking points within progressives, you see this within the talking points of conservatives. We, we live in this tribalism right now where grace is only applied to those who like me and agree with me. It's one of the things I talk a lot about in sermons sometimes that it's not just about us. It's about, are we willing to welcome those who are different than us? And that cuts across, that cuts a chord with us that we are, uncomfortable with and that's one things i don't think we always recognize with grace is that it's uncomfortable grace is very uncomfortable it's easy to say uh, you know i'm sorry i forgive you but are you willing to live with one another and that's the hard point of grace especially in the political realm mm -hmm. yeah i i think that um sometimes when we think about politics we just think about cnn we don't mm -hmm. think about the, just doing life together with one another. And uh, the word that I have uh, just even over the last couple decades heard over and over is tolerance. Mm -hmm. Tolerance is not the same thing as grace. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a difference there. Where do you see um, today uh, some of those places where we're just really missing the mark? Um, hmm. As far as like different, different people groups or demographics, because um, I think that I, I don't, I don't want to say that we, we've uh, we figured it out for no. any particular graphic, but I think it's changed a little mm -hmm. bit over the years where sometimes we're better, sometimes we're worse. Well, uh, well, I think, I think just in kind of thinking about that, I think um, 
I think there's two places perhaps we're missing the mark on that right now, that grace idea of welcoming. Uh, and I'll look at it from a progressive lens and then a, and a conservative lens. I think from a progressive lens, we're, we're missing that in the quote unquote Trump, Trump coalition in the Trump voters. You see a lot of progressives that are easy to de- uh, denounce anyone that is from Appalachia or from the Rust Belt simply and call them uneducated or backwards or anything like that just because they voted for Trump. And there could be other reasons why they voted for Trump simply because they didn't like Hillary or whatever. But there's this dismissiveness of Appalachia culture, rural culture, Rust Belt um, right now from anyone that is of a progressive line because how dare you? And and you get that sense within the conversations of how dare you? Then on the conservative side, it's anyone that is not, I hate to say it like this, but anyone that's not white. And I, and I think that is coming out more and more, especially in our immigration conversation. It is very clear within the, it's a tribalism that grace is only applied to those who are like-minded and have the same skin tone. And that's sad because it is a rejection of the very grace that we say that we claim. Because you cannot say that I love Christ if we are not willing to love the Christ in others. Mm-hmm. And so this whole dismissiveness of anyone uh, simply because they may come from Honduras or they may simply come from another country or they don't speak English, I think is an issue. Mm-hmm. And so we've got these two lines here that is simply dismissing someone simply because of another culture. If you want to tie those together, and I think I, I was thinking about this a little bit ago. I think it was 538. I listened to that podcast a lot. was talking about how we're moving away from one another. And I don't think that is helping um, where we are moving away from each other. Uh, Republicans will only live with Republicans, Democrats with Democrats. So we don't have this intermingling of each other. So it creates this WrestleMania, this fighting amongst each other. So those are the two big places. And it, it does tie back to, I think, uh, with this idea of culture and how do we respond to other people's culture? Mm-hmm. I think one of the aspects of that, that grace also is when you are in relationship already, something happens to break or disturb that relationship. And, and when grace happens, it's able to be restored or brought back together. And you talked a lot about welcoming mm-hmm. and a new relationships. Um, where do you see uh, us in, in our political culture um, not having grace within those previously existing relationships. Well, I think you can see that when we vote on Supreme Court justices. Um, look at how Joe Manchin uh, from West Virginia, Democrat in West Virginia, was treated uh, by those within his own uh, for voting for Kavanaugh. Uh, we eat up our own when they go against the grain. Uh, I believe Manchin had some political reasons of why he felt like he needed to vote for Kavanaugh for his own election purposes, and that's another conversation. Uh, But I think that's one thing, is that we eat our own. Jeff Flake and the Republican Party, uh, the same situations. When you go against the grain, you are accepted as long as you hold the line. But the second you go against that, you you are chewed up, you are dismissed, and you are created as, Republicans have this great line, you are a rhino, Republican in name only. And I think Democrats are starting to get into that as well, 
uh, with this political purity. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting how this Congress acts uh, within that, because there's definitely a newer breed of Democrats, kind of like in the Tea Party era in 2010, that was very much about political purity uh, within that Tea Party realm. This Democratic coalition that came up that was elected in 2018 is very much in the same vein as the Tea Partiers in 2010 wanting purity. And so when you go against that political purity, you get chewed up. And so I think there are some, I think that creates obstacles for true relationships across the board. Gone are the days I think of a Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. And I know that that conversation gets idolized and mythicized a lot and taken out of context. But I, I think those days are long gone. Um, you know, we're recording right now on the day when the, you know, the shutdown's still going on. Um, you know, who knows by the time this is aired, what's going to happen. Uh, but I think that fixture, fixture, that breaking of that relation, those relationships across the line create this chaos. Mm-hmm. And so until we're able to walk across the line and be willing to say, there is something of value to this person's beliefs, um, that we're going to miss something, mm-hmm. uh, and so the more we pull our political parties apart, I think it's just going to create this uh, polarization, if you will, of the process. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a great example. Um, just the idea that in our diversity, um, politically, we, we really, it's just one job, caring for, protecting for, making sure people are uh, taken care of. And when there's no grace, it's not saying everybody has to agree, mm-hmm. um, but when there's no grace, there's no relationship, and what you end up with is shutdown. <laughs> yeah, it just it can't exist. Yeah, I, it, it's almost you know shutdowns happen more often I think now, but it's almost like the kid at the playground. You know, they get didn't get picked on the kickball team and took their ball and ran home. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying I did that, but uh, you know we we do that. We uh, we get upset, and I you know I, I see it in the church, you know my golly, the pastor's Republican, or my golly, the pastor's a Democrat. And good luck trying to figure out what I am. Um, but we see that. We want to align our churches with our political perspectives. We want to align our schools with our political perspectives. At some point, it's got to be about what's the greater good? What's the commonality that holds us together? And I think we've lost that. I, you know, I honestly think we've lost it. And I don't, you know, and I think it's, and I don't, and I can't tell you how we've lost it. I have my suspicions. I, I think it has to deal with 9-11 and that fear that came out of that. Um, but we've lost that sense of sharing common bonds with each other outside of watching Clemson beat Alabama. And, uh, you know, those are great things, but what holds us to something more important? Yeah. Well, that's, that's our next question. Um, where do you see real grace in our politics? Ooh. You know, times of tragedy, we're still doing a good job of coming together. Um, look at well, a couple of years ago when you had the uh, shooting of uh, the Republican, you know, I forget his, forget his name, but the Republican from Louisiana that was shot um, in a baseball game. You had uh, Congressman Giffords who was shot uh, several years ago. Those moments bring, still bring people together. And there's moments of grace and reconciliation um, and attempts to say that there are things better that hold us together. Uh, Those are moments that 
you know, still bring us together. Times of national emergencies and chaos uh, still tend to bring the nation together. Those come with an asterisk, though, um, in that those are fainting moments and that you, you talk the game for a few moments and then you end up back in your own political quarters. I, those are the places where I see it right now. I, I, and I'm, I, I don't want to sound uh, like I'm struggling here, but it's hard to pick out places, I think, right now where we are seeing true attempts of reconciliation in grace. You don't have, um, I mean, you don't have uh, Christian groups. I hate to say it like the, you know, say, hate to say it, but you don't have Christian groups that are politically active working together upon a common good right now. And I, I'm just struggling, honestly, to find those places. And I think we all are. I think, I think if you found, if we honestly, honest to goodness found two, a Republican and a Democrat that was honestly working together for the common blessings of life and for the common good, I think it would shock the world. Um, but what we see is when someone steps out to do that, a John McCain or a John Kasich, uh, uh, Joe Manchin or others, they're ridiculed. And so there's no value to do that, which is sad because you could lose your job, you could lose your election, you could lose everything. So I think it makes people timid. So I think that's why we're struggling to see it, which is sad. Mm -hmm. No, no, where do you see it, Tony? I don't know, uh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I see it in in very small places. sometimes in our churches, sometimes outside of our churches, but you talked about that tribalism. Uh, and I, I heard our, uh, our, our country and um, uh, in, in particular here in Kentucky, uh, that word used uh, by a man from Brazil who uh, teaches um, here at Campbellsville University in, in his kind of different experiences here in the States, uh, where if you're not one of us, if you're not from mm-hmm. here, um, it's really hard to even build those uh, first relationships uh, uh-huh. and, and get in. Um, oh, but, but just, uh, moving from, from down from Illinois and, and it probably honestly was, was like this in Illinois too, but I was part of the tribe there uh-huh. coming down here to Kentucky, uh, where you've got over a hundred counties and every county is their own unique, different culture. Um, yes, it's it's not near as as bigger regional, uh, you know, big urban sprawls um, like I expected it to be. And, and I think that just gets more emphasized um, in well, days think, like today. I think you bring up something that's interesting when you talk about grace. You know, we talk a lot about grace from a political spe- spectrum, but pl- political spectrums are also on how we treat region regionalities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the things I've often said about Kentucky and I love Kentucky and you know, it's, it is a great state, uh, but we are definitely segregated within the state up from our regionalism. Um, I'm out in Western Kentucky right now. You might as well be living in a different state. Uh, when you get past uh, Bowling Green, um, and I've heard it joked about here in Princeton, but we're, I'm pretty much in another state. Um, I don't think Frankfurt, recognizes what happens in Princeton. And I don't always think Princeton recognizes what happens in Frankfurt. I think we're more affected by what takes place in Clarksville and Nashville than what goes on in Frankfurt. Um, The same thing with Eastern Kentucky. 
um, in Pikeville. I think they're more affected by what takes place in Charleston and Huntington in West Virginia. The central part of Kentucky is where all the power is and is where all the influence is. And I think it hurts the whole. And so that centralization of power and privilege and institutional biases, if you will, hurts the whole. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't allow us to have a framework, whether in church, whether in politics, to see the needs of someone else, because you're only seeing the needs within yourselves. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about Louisville and Lexington. We don't talk a lot about what's needed in Paducah. Um, and I can tell you the same needs in Paducah are the same needs in Lexington. And so I think that that doesn't help us. Um, and I think that that gets back to what we said at the beginning, that regional and that cultural, because there are different culturals. So it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt, as I always say. Yeah. What, one example of that um, that we deal with here in Campbellsville, uh, and, and part of what I think happens with that tribalism is, uh, we see that power and privilege, and then we we take our emphasis and bring it back local, mm-hmm. and, and kind of build our own uh, walls and, and self defense around our smaller community, which only reinforces that whole difference. So it, everybody's involved with this; it's not just one group or another. Oh yeah. Um, but but we have a situation where uh, the overflow of the prison system um, in I believe it's Louisville area. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we get them from Lexington as well. Uh, they'll come down and, and they'll send them into our Campbellsville prison. And, and we're compensated for that financially. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's that kind of relationship there, uh, which is fine. And if we've got extra space, I don't think there's a problem with trying to, to help out those bigger cities. The problem comes when the prisoner's released Mm-hmm. and they have no transportation and they're not from Campbellsville and mm-hmm. there's nothing provided. And for the last, uh, I don't know how many years they've been doing this, but it's the ministerial association that transports them then back to Louisville or Lexington or wherever it is that they're from. And so mm-hmm. in the politics, there's no grace. It's <laughs> just a money transaction thing. And the, the churches are having to step in and provide that grace to, to take that person back uh, to where they need to be. Um, New Year's Eve, we had a guy that was released pouring down rain, getting close to freezing, homeless essentially <laughs> out there in the evening. And, and so me and uh, one of the other area pastors jumped in the car and took him up to, uh, to, to Winchester to a place where, where he could uh, have a home uh, essentially. And so I, I think that in the midst of some of those uh, political transactions that that grace isn't happening uh, it's not convenience like you were saying it's it's um, uncomfortable sometimes uh, but I think there there still are places where even if it's not happening on the the, the general government um, place uh, there are people I won't necessarily say churches per se but but there are people that are stepping up and, and trying to fill that gap yeah, I mean, you see that, and that's a great example. You know, it's just reminded me of something I see back home in West Virginia with the heroin crisis. Uh, there's a great documentary in one, gotten a, an Oscar nomination, actually, a couple, either last year or a couple of years ago, called Heroin. And it talks about how the courts, a ministerial association um, or a ministry, and um, the fire department were all working, these three people were working together as one 
um, to build rest, retribution, not retribution, but restorative nature to life because, you know, the penal code is retributive. You did this, we're going to do X to you. But these three were really working on how to, one person was trying to get prostitutes off the street. One person was trying to get um, cleaner needles and, you know, into uh, people uh, and, you know, getting that sort of thing going. The other was trying to work on drug courts and all three were working as one unit. We need more of that. We need more about what's going on in Campbellsville. We need more about what's going on in Huntington, West Virginia. Those are the small differences you can make. They don't always make the Lexington Herald or the New York Times or the USA Today, but I promise you, they do more good in our communities. Um, and I think that's what we need to see. Uh, if you want to talk about what we need to see with grace, those are the things we need to see. It's people working together. Forget your politics. Forget your you know, line of work. We're all in this together to f- help our communities. I always say we're making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world here in Princeton mm-hmm. because that's our corner of the world. Our corner of the world is not Lexington. It's Princeton. This is the place that God has called us to serve. And so how do we make a difference here? Um, but until we see that God, you know, we have this ability that God has given us gifts and graces to work together. We can make a difference of helping a prisoner and helping a drug addict. It may not seem like much. Well, you just helped one person. You didn't help 5,000. Well, you helped one person's world. And that's how you change the culture. You see people working together to do the greater good. Um, a Baptist and a Methodist preacher working together does more good than sometimes a, wor- a joint worship service. And that might get me in trouble, but it's true. Um, they do more, that does more good. And uh, I think we're missing that. And I think it needs to see more of that. Uh, in thinking about grace uh, and, and scriptures that come to mind, uh, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan, um, which I, I would say is, is a, a, maybe a little bit more on the welcoming end because mm-hmm. you have all these strangers involved in, in the, the last one, the Samaritan, who is sort of the outcast that picks up the Jewish guy in the ditch and uh, takes him and takes care of him uh, in that. But d- do you think that um, what, when we're looking for grace in politics, we have a, a unique window among our first responders in our communities? Uh, because some of them may be church-going Christians, some of them may not be, but they are involved in both uh, that kind of rescuing work and sometimes even the, the justice kind of work when you think of mm-hmm. police officers, um, uh, sort of just standing over that, that bridge of, of those two multiple issues there and having opportunity uh, to share grace themselves, um, but also uh, we as a community in our relationship with the first responders, because there's politics that goes into that uh-huh. budgeting and all of that, but uh, how we treat our first responders. And I've seen changes. You mentioned the crisis uh, tragedies uh-huh. uh, where, where I sort of see there's uh, an occasional flare up of, yes, we really value our first responders. Uh-huh. And then after a while we hate all cops <laughs> yeah. and, and it kind of goes back and forth in very big extremes, but but they're right there in the gap of what grace really looks like lived out in that that messy mix of mercy 
injustice. Uh -huh. um, how, how do you see that? Um, I, I guess, what, what, do you, what do you expect to see in the future uh, of our relationships with uh, first responders or, or maybe uh, them themselves, uh, in particularly tied to this idea of grace? Well, I know there's some good work going around. I know, uh, you know, Craig Tuck's doing some good work within that in Louisville uh, on restorative justice and working with police and others. But I think before we, you know, when we get to grace, I think we have to see them as people worthy of grace. Um, and, and there's a lot of conversations that we can have, and I think good and valued conversations about um, the treatments of cops and the treatments of African-Americans and how that, what that relationship looks like. Those are needed conversations. And it doesn't mean you're anti-cop. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means we need to have conversations. But I think those conversations come within the context of we appreciate the work. And I think that's what you have to start with, with any conversation, is that sense of, of respect and that sense of valuing your, that role. We have a value for our police. We have a value for our first responders. But that doesn't mean just like within our line of work as ministers, we recognize, you know, there are some amongst us that are not the most trustworthy, that are not the most ethical, um, that probably should go find another line of work. And we're okay with saying that. Mm -hmm. You have to be okay with hearing that as well. You know, when we talk amongst our clergy of saying, hey, we need more accountability. We need more structure. We need to keep ourselves, you know, away from falling into different temptations and traps. We are hearing that as both for us as individuals, but also within our professional ranks, because we recognize that what happens in Campbellsville also affects what happens in Princeton. I think that same conversation needs to go into some of our conversations about how we treat our first responders and how we engage some of these conversations about uh, justice related issues, that this is really about how to improve. It's not about criticizing, it's not about judging, but it's about how do we go from point X to get to point Y and what's needed. And it might be that we need to build better relationships. It might need to be that we need to do better community policing. It might need to be that we just need to have some town halls and conversations and bring people together. But it's all about, it's not about judging people. It's not about saying, hey, you're, everyone is wrong, but about saying, hey, we've seen some things that makes us uncomfortable. And I think you, you would recognize this too. We love you, we value you, we just wanna see you grow. And I think when we start those conversations that way, instead of saying, everyone is bad, everyone is awful, you're this, you're that, or even just saying, oh, they can never do any wrong, they're perfect, they're because of what they do, we blind ourselves to the deeper conversations that need to be had. And when we blind ourselves from those deeper conversations, we're only make, making things worse. Because then we, allow, we refuse to allow ourselves to hear hard truths. And I think grace also has that element of hear, being willing to receive hard truths. Um, and so we have to have that dialogue. But if we start that dialogue in a posture of, I'm always right, because of what I do or who I am, and I don't need to hear this from you, um, then we're never going to get anywhere. But if we say, look, I value you as a person. I value your work. I value you as a child of God. But 
these are these things that we want to hold and I'm going to hold it in myself too. You know, it's like the, the scripture passage. Don't point, point out someone's uh, stick in their own eye. If you're not willing to put out the stick in your own eye first, I think that has to work too. I think we've got to be willing to say to us, Hey, we've not done a good job with racial reconciliation and we've not done a good job with X. And so as we come alongside you, we're going to come, we're going to come alongside and we're going to improve within ourselves too. Um, so I think that has to go in. We, we have to recognize within ourselves too, where we have fallen short, uh, which in, within our liturgy in the Methodist church, I love that we say in at communion, we have fallen short, not you, not this person sitting over there, but we have fallen short. And that part of that too, that's that commonality that comes in all of this as well, that we have to recognize it's not about you. It's about all of us together. And what's our shared investment in this? I think that um, we have uh, a unique role as as Christians, and this 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 work involves Christians and non Christians together. Um, but but I think as as Christians, uh, mm-hmm. sort of vessels of grace uh, is one of the ways that I see myself um, in this. Uh, there's a unique. Um, an important role that that we have with all of the mess <laughs> that we have and lots and lots of work to do what what would you say would be um an, an important first step that christians need to be taking uh, as they engage uh their political communities with grace i think the first would have to be you've got to see that god loves the Democrat and God loves the Republican and the libertarian or the socialist, whomever God doesn't just love you. Um, and I, I think when we see that, that love, that belovedness, uh, in the other, I think it does set creates that ability to build bridges and reconciliation. That's the first primary step is we have to see that God doesn't just love those who look like me. Uh, God loves all of us. And um, that can be the most powerful transformational thing in our politics is to not just say God loves you, but to actually say and believe God loves you and to live that out. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Shannon. I appreciate your time today. Um, Your continued work with me. Um, uh, we're going to be uh, c- continuing with this podcast to, to bring out other core values and uh, interviewing some other people. Um, but my hope is just to, to get these, these values out on the discussion table because we talk a lot about money. We talk a lot about power. We talk about a lot of things, but some of these values um, are, as you were uh, talking about earlier, really important to do in the work. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to bring them back to the discussion table. So thank you for your time with us today. No problem. I'm glad to be here. Good luck with the project. You can read more about Jesus politics in my book called Jesus Politics, The Four Gospels and Politics by Tony Franklin, sold at Amazon.com or on my blog at RevTonyFranklin.com. Thank you for listening.